Vox Quick Hits. One quick note before we start. What you are about to hear is just a preview of a much longer and deeper conversation. And trust me, you're going to want to hear the rest of it. You can find the full episode at Vox.com slash Ezra Klein Show podcast. Again, that is Vox.com slash Ezra Klein Show podcast. Anne Helen Peterson wrote the big piece that started the entire idea of millennial burnout, and she's done a lot of amazing work. I think she covers in a very interesting way what it is like to live in this age of capitalism better than really anybody else right now. Um, Derek Thompson wrote a great piece for The Atlantic about workism and trying to understand how work becomes an identity. And I think the way these two ideas work together helps explain a lot of how people feel right now. This is a, an episode that I think helped a lot of people, certainly helped me think a little bit about how we live our lives, how we have been brought up to value different questions around work, around family, around how we spend our time. And if you've, you're having some time over the holidays, it's a good time to reflect on that and at least to try to see what kind of ideological water you're swimming in. And Ellen Peterson, Derek Thompson, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So, Derek, I want to start with you. you. You wrote this piece arguing that in the past century, our conception of work shifted from jobs to careers to callings, from work being a necessity to a status to a meaning. Can you unpack that a bit? Sure. So here's a brief history of work in the U.S. 200 years ago, we were an agrarian economy, and that means that most workers did the same things that their parents did and the same things that their great-grandparents did. There was no sense of multi-generational growth or even single-generational growth. Every job was just a job. You were a farmer. You worked on a farm, and everyone in the history of your family had done the exact same. The very idea of a career, of a, a narrative arc of progress within one's working life is an invention of the 20th century. This idea that we should be working toward, for example, a, a set of acronyms, VP, SVP, CEO, that's a very, very modern idea. But in the last, say, 30 to 40 years, I think, there's this creeping sense that anything short of a vocational soulmate is essentially a wasted life. And that is what I call workism. It's this idea that work should be the center of our lives, our identities, and our society. And I think that it's only in the last half century that modern secular elites have codified this idea that the meaning of life should be found in work. So, and I want to jump to where your piece starts off now. What is millennial burnout and, and how does it differ from just people in past generations saying, I'm working a lot, I'm tired? <laughs> you know, the way that I've been thinking about millennial burnout as like a demarcated, different than Gen X burnout, different than boomer burnout, because yes, throughout history, people have like worked a lot and been like, I'm working too much. I attribute this feeling, which I think most people until my piece maybe wouldn't actually call burnout. It's more just like our base temperature and how we go through lives, our lives as an accumulation of stress related to the idea that like basically you should just work all the time and any time that you're not working is bad and any time that you are working is good. Um, that's a, a maxim that I learned in graduate school that we just said like everything bad is good, everything good is bad. Uh, <laughs> plus like stifling student debt loans that um, limit our ability to 
um, make decisions that might make us a little bit happier or to, you know, even have the superfluous income that could alleviate burnout, whether that is through things like hiring a babysitter, which, you know, now I hear babysitters cost like $20, $25 an hour, which still is startling to me as someone who used to babysit for $2 an hour. Then the third thing is this kind of ambiguous social media panopticon where you have to be performing your work-life balance and performing leisure, but also be performing like killing it at your job. And part of that is very much like this educated bourgeois level where you are performing that that balance. But I think it's still part of the pressure that's associated with it. And then the other thing that I should add, and that is the center point of, of my piece and why it focuses specifically on millennials, is that we were raised and optimized to be working all of the time and then graduated right into um, either the beginning of or the tail end of or the after effects of the 2008 recession. So, so much of our adulthood has been stalled, like our, reaching the, the milestones that are associated with you know, American bourgeois adulthood have either been uh, put off or unattainable altogether. So something that you mentioned, and is student debt loans and then $25 babysitters. Uh, Derek, you were talking about one of the key data points in your piece being that people at the upper end of the income scale are the ones who have decided to buy more time to work with the, the, the money they're actually they're making. Are Is what both of you are describing a culture of work in America, a culture of work in a generation? Or are we actually talking about something that's a culture of work in a particular substrata? of this generation and, and and the upper point of the income ladder? So my perspective from the feedback from my essay, because I've received thousands and thousands of, of emails in response, is that it's most tightened in America, but it also has purchase in specifically India and Ireland. And that to me is really fascinating. And part of it has to do with an upwardly mobile middle class in India. I think if the piece could be translated into Chinese and circulated in China, we might have a similar response there. But then the Ireland thing really fascinated me because, like, why not the UK, right? And so the people who emailed me from Ireland, I asked them, I was like, what? Why Ireland? What is going on here? And they said that so much of it has to do with the influx of tech companies into Ireland because of the tax structure and all the other things that make Ireland a, a haven for places like Apple and Facebook and other um, organizations. So they have transplanted what seems to be like a very American conception of work and leisure time onto Irish culture. So that that's really interesting. Um, and then the other thing I think is that so much of this just has to do with capitalism. And I don't think that it, even though it manifests differently for people who are upperly mobile in the middle class, um, you know, the idea that you have to always have a side hustle, that's something that is across classes. I, I mean, probably not the, the most upper class, but it might be different hustles, but it goes up and down the class register. And how about for you, Derek? Do you, do you think that the way where work transmutes into somebody's identity, is that equally distributed or is that something that's really you're only talking about a part of the population? So first, I want to take a look at the global picture. The 
concept of a calling comes from Martin Luther. It comes from the Protestant work ethic. And obviously, there's many, many Protestants who live outside of the U.S. That said, the U.S. is, I think, in some ways exceptional in the way that it looks to work and the way that it values work, both at the individual level and at the public policy level. No large country uh, in the world that's as productive as the United States averages more hours of work a year. And the gap between the U.S. and most other countries in the OECD is growing. So annual hours worked per employee fell about 40 percent in Germany, the sort of industrious heart of Protestantism, but only by 10 percent in the U.S. And even in 2005, uh, Sam Huntington um, the political scientist who came up with the theory of the clash of civilizations, who also wrote this book called Who Are We? about America's national identity, he pointed out that Americans work longer hours, have shorter vacations, get less in unemployment, disability, and retirement benefits, and retire later than people in comparably rich societies. So I do think that there is something that distinguishes the U.S. from a lot of other countries that are similar to the U.S. in Europe and in Canada. That said, in the U.S., it's absolutely the case that workism, at least as I'm defining it, is an elite phenomenon. It is something that was first discovered to be happening among rich men. That said, I think there's also some evidence that it's starting to happen among rich women. There was a paper that came out at the end of 2018 that looked at what is the benefit of attending an elite school. If you get into University of Michigan and you get into you know, Virginia State and you also get into Harvard— What's the financial benefit of going to Harvard? And the upshot was this. If you're a relatively rich guy, no benefit. If you're a minority or a poor person, there's a large benefit to going to Harvard. But if you're an upper middle class or rich woman, the benefit of attending Harvard isn't that it makes you more productive or richer on a per hour basis, but rather that it makes you work more hours, especially after you have a kid. That essentially the upshot of, a, of an elite college education for upper and upper middle class women in the U.S. is that it makes them more careerist after becoming a mother. So I do think that there is this, that this, this idea is, is sort of spreading from you know, just rich men to all of the elites. And then I also think that, that the concept of workism, the idea that work should be a centerpiece of, of our society, is visible in our public policy. It's visible in our the, the way that we've sort of uh, made sure that welfare is attached to the labor force, that health care is attached to the labor force, that there aren't nearly as many universal benefits in the U.S. as there are in similarly rich and similarly advanced European countries. And so I see workism not only as this sort of individual phenomenon that's happening among the elite, but also as a public policy phenomenon that is affecting all of us. To listen to our podcast, ask your assistant to play The Ezra Klein Show.